Now, as you are able, would you please remain standing for the reading of the word, which today will be done by Dustin. Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any, other, any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will, will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, I want to start this morning by clarifying some things that I said last week guess there's some, some issues with some of my theology, so I just want to make sure that everything is well understood. I don't hate cats. <laughs> just putting it out there. Uh, do not insult cats. Cat people do not like that. So I apologize. I'm sorry. Um, I'm going to go buy a cat today so that I can just be one of you and love on cats forever and ever. 
You know, here's the good news. What we saw in Scripture today is that at the very least, cats are not the worst animal ever created. So with that thought, if you have a Bible, you can open up to Genesis chapter 3. That's where we'll be today. Uh, we have been in the book of Genesis. We are studying the first 12 chapters, and so we have a few more weeks to go. But we started by talking about Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and we focused on the one who was there in the beginning, because the first question we have to answer in Scripture is, are we putting our trust in the one true God? Are we going to follow after him? Do we believe in him? Are, are, we, are we pursuing the one who is good, who is there from the beginning? And then week two, we saw his goodness being poured out in creation. We saw that a good God created a good world, and we see goodness all around as God created and then in week three, we saw last week about how God created man and woman. He created mankind in his image. And being his image bearers, it allows us to relate to him differently than the rest of creation. It allows us, it gives us a responsibility actually to rule and to reign over God's creation, bringing order out of chaos and pointing all of creation to the one true king, to the creator. And we see that also God created us to be in relationships with one another. And we see that man and woman were in relationship and everything was good. And so chapter two is a zoomed in focus on the end of chapter one. And so when we see the very end of chapter one, we see the end of the creation story. We see that God said it was, he looked and said it was very good. And then he rested. And that's where we left off. And then you look around the world today and you're thinking, what happened like, clearly things are not the way that they're supposed to be because the Niners are not in the Super Bowl next week. <laughs> it's going to cause me pain for a while. No, but really, like this morning, I woke up and I was just sore all over. And I was like, what happened? I was like, oh, yeah, I went to a father-daughter dance on Friday night. And from Friday night, dancing with my 10-year-old, I am sore because my body is breaking down. And you look, and this morning I got in my car and I looked at uh, the people who live across the street from us, our neighbors across the street, and, and I saw their house and I saw a place where a tree used to be, but the storm took the tree and knocked it over onto their cars one morning. And you're thinking, sometimes creation hurts. Sometimes it's not the way it's supposed to be. And you look in, and you're thinking, well, relationships with one another, not exactly perfect all the time. Anyone married? Anyone ever had a conflict with their spouse? Right? How many of you with your family this morning, like on the way to church, right? I mean, how many parents know this to be true? You had the moment this morning where you're like, all right, kids, you are going to get dressed and you're going to get in the car and you're going to put a smile on and you're going to love Jesus and you're going to like it. <laughs> conflict between one another exists. And we all know someone, a loved one, a family member, a friend who is not pursuing God, doesn't know him maybe walking away from their faith. And we're praying for them to return to that relationship, but we see everything that God had created that was good, that was perfect, that was wonderful, it's all broken now. And so you're left wondering, well, what happened after Genesis chapter two? Well, Genesis chapter three came, and we see the beginning of sin. Genesis chapter three, verse one, it says this, now the cat, sorry, the serpent, um, <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? So here comes this talking serpent, which is like, uh, how did this just get into the story, right? 
And, and what we know from scripture is we know that this is Satan. This is the enemy, right? This is the evil one, and he's coming to tempt and to draw God's image bearers away from the image of God. He's trying to lead us into sin and away from their relationship with God. He is trying to bring about brokenness and chaos. And he's doing it by simply asking a question. Now, what I want us to understand is that while we're looking at the beginning of sin, and we need to understand that to understand the rest of Scripture and what Jesus did and, and really how we got here, I also want you to know that the enemy plays the same games today as he did at the very beginning. It's nothing new. And so by reading through this chapter, we will also see the, 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 the games the enemy plays, what he tries to do, and maybe we'll be able to guard our hearts against sin and temptation in our own lives here now today. And so he starts by asking a question, did God really say? And this is always the first question he's going to ask. He's going to question your knowledge of God, your knowledge of God's word, your knowledge of God's truth, your knowledge of his desires. And what he's really trying to do is he's trying to get us to question what was found in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created, well, do you even know who that God really is? Do you know what he really wants? Do you know why he really created? Do you know what he really desires? Because if we don't, he can quickly twist it and manipulate it for his own good. And so this is where I'm going to remind all of us that we need to be people of the word. If you are a follower of Christ and Sundays are the only time that you hear scripture read, that you see scripture read, that you read scripture, it's not enough. If you do not have a regular habit of reading God's word, you are missing out on one of the greatest treasures and you're leaving yourself open to the attacks of the enemy. Because the first thing he's going to ask is, did God really say? Be people of the word. Did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Kind of an extreme question. And we look and we say, is that what God commanded? No. Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. So notice the serpent said, did God say you can't eat from any tree? God says you can eat from any tree. So he's asking the opposite question. Not is there one that God is restricting from you, but is God restricting everything from you? And God's saying everything is available to you except for one. So he says, it command him, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And so the serpent asks this question that he knows is deceitful in nature. Did God really say, and he twists the words to make God sound worse than he really was, to make God sound different than he really is, than his nature and so verse two, the woman responds, says, she said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from, from the trees in the garden. No, she didn't say any tree, which I think means that she's missed some of the points here. And we'll see that even more in just a minute. But God did say, you must not eat from the tree that's in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. So she's got most of it right. She's sort of correct, but she's missing some things. Before we really look at her response, I just want to acknowledge that the tree is placed in the middle of the garden and if you're like me, you're wondering why. Why is it in the middle? 
right? If it's important, why not put it at the entrance where all can see? But if it's the one tree that you're not supposed to eat from, let's hide it somewhere, right? Like put it in a corner somewhere, like put it away behind a bunch of other trees. But here's the thing. The two trees that were in the middle of the garden are the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Well, who is life and who has all knowledge of good and evil? God. These trees are put in the center of the garden to remind creation that God is at the center of creation. They're meant to be a reminder of who God is and what he gives. And instead, the created is looking at the created and trying to use that for its own glory. But here's the thing. She said, you must not eat from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. And then she says, and you must not touch it or you will die. Now, there's two things she does in that last part. She adds to God's command, and she actually diminishes God's command. See, she says, you must not touch it. That's not in Genesis chapter 2. That's not part of the command. And we do this sometimes. We add to God's commands, sometimes with good intentions, like we're trying to protect ourselves from the sin. So maybe they had good intentions, right? Maybe they had decided, hey, if we go too close to that tree, we're going to want to touch it. And if we touch the tree, we're going to want to eat from it. And if we eat from it, then we're going to die. And that's like, we don't want to have that. So let's just say we can't touch the tree. Stay away from it. And so maybe it was a guard that they placed, but then what they did is they put their own command on an equal standing with God's command. Well, what can happen when we do that is that all of a sudden, when we cross over the line of our own command, God says, that's fine. That wasn't a command anyways from me. It was just a guard for yourself. And so then we think, well, wait, I just did something. God didn't care. Like he was okay with it. So he must be okay with me breaking some other commands as well. And then we allow ourselves to break the commands of God because really we started by breaking our own commands. Or the other side of the thing is that we put too many commands on people. They become too restrictive because they're ours. That's what the Pharisees did to people. And then people push back or want to run away because they can't handle the burden of the man-made commands. Now, she also diminishes the command. She said that if we touch it, which again, it was wrong, but we will die. She's missing a word in there. Right? Yeah, in, in, in chapter 2, God said, you will certainly die. Now, that may seem like a, a small difference, but, but here's the thing. What we can do is, is we take sin and we diminish the consequences of sin. We make them less. So we say, ah, God's going to leave a punishment probably. There's going to be consequences, maybe. Right? So we leave it open and we try and take away the consequences. Like, he might not do that. He might, but he might not. There might be a consequence. There might not. We might get caught. Maybe we won't. Right? Like, well, that's what we're trying to do here. To say, hey, eh, it's, it's, it's probably a big deal, but it might not, but it might not be. And once we've taken that step, then the next step becomes easier to say, no, it definitely wasn't real. There's no consequence for my sin. It's fine. It's not a big deal. I can do that. To the point where then we just stop thinking about sin because we've convinced ourselves that there is no consequence, that sin doesn't matter, that's not even really a thing, and we can just live however we want to live. And so the enemy knows that he has gotten a foothold now. He knows that he has, he has twisted God's command in the woman's mind, in her heart. And so now he knows that he can step in and twist it a little bit more. He says in verse four, you will not certainly die. Notice he knows the command that God had said. The servant said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
Here's what he's trying to do. He's trying to get her to question God's goodness. He's subtly asking the question, is God worth trusting? Is he good? He says, if you eat from it, God knows that you're just going to be like him. What's the problem with that? Well, in chapter one and chapter two, we just read that God created us in his image. In his likeness, he made us. We are already like God in every way that matters. And here the servant's saying, you can be like God in a way that you were never intended to be. And what he's doing is he's painting this picture of God to say, God's being selfish. He's being jealous. He's withholding something good from you. You're not going to die. There's no consequence. And if you take it, you will be on equal standing to him. Listen, here's what, what is truly evil and here's what sin really is. He's really trying to get them to rebel from their relationship with God. He's saying, God doesn't matter. You can be your own God. And here's the thing. He's telling them, reach up and take that which has already been freely given to you. Take knowledge and wisdom. Even though God was their guide and he would lead them in knowledge and wisdom. Take life even though God breathed life into you. And he is the giver of life, life eternally and life to the full. He's saying, take when God says, I will give. And so because the enemy knows how to tempt, he convinces the woman. And in verse six, it says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. See, the enemy played to the, the, the root of our heart, the root cause of sin is seen right here. But there's a few different ways that, that sin begins to manifest itself in our hearts, in our lives. That we have the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and pride. It, it looks good, it feels good. It makes me powerful. And so she saw that it was pleasing to the eye. Right? It looks good, lust of the eye. She saw that it was good for food. It feels good, lust of the flesh. And it was good for gaining knowledge and wisdom, that pride, I can be like God. And these are the same root causes of all the sin that we commit. And this is exactly what the enemy is saying. He's telling us, hey, if it looks good, if it feels good, if it makes you feel powerful, if it makes you strong, if it gives you authority, do it. Why would God restrict you from that? Didn't God make that thing to look good? Why would he not want you to take it? Didn't God make that thing feel good for you? Why would he not want you to experience that? Why would God try and stop you from becoming like him? This is the attack of the enemy. These are the words that he uses, the lies, the deception that he uses. And he's been doing it from the very beginning. And it's so easy to fall into. And so when Adam and Eve ate from the, the tree, they brought sin into the world. And the Bible tells us that all sin comes through one man. And so our natures are totally depraved. We are totally affected by sin. It doesn't mean that we are paying the consequences of Adam's sin. It means that all of us will give in to sin because that is what is now in our nature. And so we have a sin problem. 
We all have a sin problem. Now, there may be some in the room that are like, hey, uh, this isn't a fun conversation. Let's go back to Genesis 1 and 2 and talk about how everything is good, right? Or there may be some in here that's like, ooh, sin? Like, we're all sin? No, I'm not a sinner. Like, that's bad people. Like, I'm, I'm fine. I'm a good person. I've done lots of good things. Or, you know, I've sinned, sure, but like, it's not that bad. My sin's not that bad. And no, honestly, I haven't sinned that much. Well, let's talk about sin and make sure we have a proper understanding of sin before we try and say it's not like something that we need to deal with, that we don't have a sin problem. The first thing we need to understand is that the Bible makes it pretty clear that we have all sinned. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means every single one of us. Now, some may say, hey, I'm a good person. I've done a lot of good deeds, so it doesn't really matter. I actually had a, a student once that called, well, the parent called, and they said, hey, I don't, you know, we don't like what you're, you're teaching. Like, can you be more specific? Well, you said that our son is a sinner. Okay, what's the issue? Well, he, he's a good kid. He, he gets good grades. He's, he's obedient. He does what we tell him to do. He doesn't fight very much with his siblings. He's a good person. Okay, we don't have a proper understanding of sin. And so we go to Romans 3.23 and we say, no one can excuse themselves because it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And if you think your good deeds are enough to overcome your sin, well, we skip ahead three chapters and we go to Romans 6.23, which says, for the wages of sin is death. The wages, the cost of sin is death. Not a price that getting good grades can cover. Like being on time to work every day is not going to cover that sin. It's not going to pay that price. So we all have a sin problem. And some may be looking and saying, well, my sin's not that bad. What we're doing is we're creating our own standard of morality. And we can't play by someone else's rules. We can't play by our own rules. We have to play by God's rules. As a matter of fact, I saw a video just popped up on my YouTube feed the other day. And uh, some YouTuber who makes a lot of money doing YouTube videos uh, because he gives away a lot of money doing like these, these games on YouTube. And so what he does is he gets people to do these really crazy things to try and earn money. And so one of them was, I don't remember how many days it was, but they had to live in this, this house and there was a yard and around the yard, there was a big giant red circle. And so everything within the yard, the house they could stay in, but they had to stay there for, I don't know, 30, 60 days, something like that, like a really long time. And if they stayed in the circle that whole time, they got some amount of money, a large amount of money. But if they left the circle for any reasons, then they, they were out, they were eliminated, they got nothing. And so some, like a few days in, they were like, yeah, I'm done. I want to go home. And so they just walked out of the circle and went home and, and didn't take the money. But then I saw one person who was trying really hard to stay in the circle and they had been in there for a long time and they were going near the edge of the circle and they were picking up some trash or something along the edge of the circle and they turned and their heel hit this red line, just barely touched it. But the person who was leading the game came out and they showed them the video and they said, hey, your, your heel touched and was like, oh no, I can't believe it. And they walked away because they knew that if they could sit there and they could complain and say, well, that person walked all the way across the line. I just touched it. But the creator of the game gets to create the rules. The creator of life gets to create the rules. God, the creator is the one who sets the standard, not us. So when we look and say, my sin's not that bad, all we're doing is saying, well, God, I see the line and I know I'm across it, but but someone else is further across, so shouldn't I be okay? 
No, because you crossed the line. You broke the rules. And here's the, the reality too. Sin is rebellion against God. It is us directly saying, God, we don't want your plan. We don't want your ways. We want to do thing our, things our ways. It is an insult to God. It is us rejecting him. That's what all sin is, is a rejection of God. And so it's personal for him. So the line has been set. And for those in the room who maybe are saying, well, okay, I've sinned, and maybe it's bad, but I don't sin that often. Should it really count against me? Because it just happens every once in a while. Well, they say that, you know, really, really good people only sin three times a day. Now, here's the thing. You might be thinking, hey, that's, that's not me. Like, there's, there's no way, right? Well, let's talk about the three types of sin. There's three types of sin. Commission, omission, and thought. So sin's a commission. This is anything that God has said uh, that he does not want us to do, and we do it anyways. So you look at the Ten Commandments, and, you know, it says don't steal or don't lie. You go ahead and do that anyways. That's a sin of commission. You've committed a sin against God. Then there's sins of omission. These are sins where God has called us to do something, like Jonah being called to go to Nineveh. What does he do? He turns and runs the other way. That's a sin of omission. He's saying, no, 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 I don't want to do what you've called me to do. I want to do my own thing. So when the Bible tells us to love, to forgive, to give, to serve, to, to do all these things, right? When, when the Bible tells us to evangelize and share our faith, to love our neighbor as ourselves, when we fail to do those things, that's a sin of omission. And then if you think, hey, I know what I'll do. I'll just go into my room. I'll turn off all the lights. And that way I can't sin. Well, your thoughts can be sinful, like, if you want to know the seriousness of sin and really how many sins you commit, just go to Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. It's what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees who were really good at following laws. And he's constantly saying, hey, you know the law says this, and yes, you're, you're doing that part sort of, but it's more significant than that. He says, you've heard that it was said, don't commit adultery, but anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in their heart. He says, you've heard that it was said, don't murder, but if you lash out in anger at someone, if you say to someone, you fool, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Yikes. You ever been driving down Madison, Manzanita, and someone comes and cuts you off? Anyone ever had some choice words for those people? The Bible says we've committed murder in our hearts. So do you see how these sins can easily start piling up? So let's just say that we're really good people. I'm a pretty good person. I'm close to perfect. So we'll, we'll use me as a standard here. I don't commit three sins a day, just, just one, right? Just one sin a day. That's all I have. Now I'm about to turn 36 years old. So we'll go off of that. Say anyone who lives to 36, this, this is what's going to happen for you. If I sin one time a day, just one time a day for the 36 years of my life, I will have committed 13,140 sins. Actually, more than that, because that doesn't count leap years. <laughs> Could you imagine going into court? Let's say you go into traffic court, and you're like, listen, uh, judge, I only broke 13,140 traffic laws. I don't think I should be fined. That's not going to go well for you. Like, it's just not going to happen. So we all have a sin problem. And the reality is, 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 is that there is nothing that we can do about our sin problem on our own. We cannot solve our sin problem on our own. 
We can't do enough good deeds to make up for it. We can't stop ourselves enough from sinning that we've cut off at the limit. Like, all right, 13,140 is fine, but if you go to 141, that's too many. No, there's nothing we can do about it on our own. And here's the reality that while the Bible tells us the consequences of sin is death, the cost of sin is death, it's actually even more than that. See, we don't get to live in Eden and just wait for death to come as the one consequence. No, we live in a broken world because sin has ruined everything. And so here's what happens after Adam and Eve had eaten from the fruit. They go into hiding, they're trying to hide from God, they're trying to cover themselves up, and God comes and says, what are you doing? Oh, you ate from the tree. And of course, they blame one another, right? The man blames the woman. He's like, and by the way, you created her, so you know, I'm not pointing any fingers, but it's kind of your fault. <laughs> and then Eve, of course, is like, well, it's the serpent who is part of your creation, so you know, I think you should take responsibility. We're fine. And here's what God says. It says in verse 14, so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains and childbearing very severe. And painful labors, uh, with painful labors, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it. All the days of your life, it will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. All right, well, have a good week. <laughs> Doesn't leave us feeling very good, right? It explains the world we live in. It shows us how we got here. But I want us to see how destructive sin is because that's what sin does. Sin destroys. And this is what God is trying to say. You want to rebel? You want to run away from me? You want to try and do this on your own? You want to be your own God? Okay, here's what's going to happen. All the commands I gave you in Genesis 1 and 2 are still going to be there, but now everything is going to be much harder. We see instantly that there's separation between us and God. We see between the man and the woman, it says that now there's going to be conflict between you. And by the way, next week, that conflict really escalates very quickly. And so we see that, that they're still called to, to rule, to subdue the land, to bring order out of chaos. But now it's going to be hard. There's going to be a battle between the serpent and mankind. And so creation is going to fight back. There's going to be thorns and thistles. The, the ground is going to be hard and difficult. It's going to be challenging to work it. The command to be fruitful and multiply is still there, but now God has said to the woman that there's going to be pain and childbearing. So you want to try and do things on your own? You want to live into your sin? Here's how destructive it is. It destroys everything. And so we know that we have this sin problem and we can't do anything about it on our own. We know how destructive it is. But here's the good news. Only God can solve our sin problem. And, spoiler alert, he does. 
As a matter of fact, even in this passage that we're reading, there is so much grace involved in it. Just look at the next two verses, which are easy to skip over, but have so much love from God in there. Verse 20, Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The consequence of their sin is death, but Eve is going to be the mother of the living? And if we looked back up earlier, verse 15, we see that the child of Eve, the seed of Eve, the heir, the descendant of Eve, will be the one who crushes the serpent. And this is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. That while our sin destroys and we try and take for ourselves and it leads to sin, God's plan is to give and his plan was to give life through the person of Jesus Christ who would crush Satan, who would crush evil, who would crush sin and death entirely. And verse 21 gives us a picture of how he does that. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And so we see the cost of sin on display here. That the cost of sin is death. But here for the first time, God will sacrifice an innocent to cover up the sin of the man and the woman. To cover up the, the sin of mankind. And thousands of years later, he would sacrifice an innocent, the innocent lamb, the spotless lamb, his own son, Jesus Christ, who would give his life on the cross for us so that we could be clothed not with garments of skin, but with his righteousness and stand anew, a new creation, adopted children of God before the Father, made right with him and live for all of eternity in glory with him. You know, we see in Revelation 21 this picture of a new heavens and a new earth, new creation where all the sin and pain are washed away. There is no more tears. There is no more sorrow because everything has been made right. Not because of what we have done, but because of what God did through his son, Jesus Christ. See, the reality is all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And as 1 John tells us, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's the good news. That's the message of the gospel. That God desired good for us. That our sin destroys that plan. But that he continues to reach out. Through the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, all things can be made new. We just have to accept that gift Admit that we have sinned, ask for forgiveness, and put our trust in Jesus. And we will be saved and have life eternally to look forward to. So yeah, we're not at the beginning anymore. And we're not at the end yet. But we can rejoice in knowing that God has made a plan for us, a way for us to be saved, to receive forgiveness. That there is a future and a hope to look forward to. And so here and now, we run away from sin understanding how hideous and ugly it really is. And we run towards Christ. And we live as image bearers in this world, showing others the consequence of sin and the beauty of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, today, being the first Sunday of the month, we get to come forward and receive communion together. 
And communion is a picture, it's a sign and a seal of God's incredible love for us. The gift that he gave us through Jesus Christ. See, Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the elements that were before him. And it tells us in Matthew chapter 26 that while they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take this, take and eat, this is my body. See, we need to understand the ugliness of our sin because only then do we understand the beauty of the cross. Do we understand the gift that Jesus gave us by giving us his body as a sacrifice so that we could have life? And then he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he said to them, he, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So when we understand our sin problem and we see that we can't solve it on our own, we look to the blood of Christ and we see that his blood has washed away our sins, that it has perfectly covered over us and his righteousness has been given to us. His blood has been the, the seal of the covenant, which is the promise that God says that if you put your trust in me, that you will have life that if you accept the gift of my son Jesus, if you confess him as Lord, believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. And so we can come to the table, we can have communion with God because of the gift of Jesus Christ. While our sin separates us, Jesus brings us to him and brings us together as the body of believers, as the body of Christ. And so as you come to, to take the elements, to receive the elements, I want to encourage you just to have a time of confession, a time maybe of repentance before God, and a time to say, God, I'm putting my trust in you. And if you need to do that for the very first time, in just a moment, I'm going to say a prayer, and you can just pray that prayer with me in your heart to say, God, I want to receive you. I choose to follow after you. And if you're choosing that for the first time, I would encourage you to send me an email, ryan at cccnow.com. I would love to, to hear from you, to pray with you, to celebrate with you, and maybe even come up to the prayer banner and, and have someone pray with you as well. But then as you receive the elements, just on a, on a logistical level, um, come down to your right. So exit or enter the aisle to your right and then receive and then go off to the left to, um, uh, to, to get back into the aisle. Wait, other way around. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm off. It's the end of the day. Three services. All right, let's, let's pray. <laughs> Praise God for grace. God, we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. We thank you for bringing us into communion with you, even though we don't deserve it. There's nothing that we can do to earn it. God, you freely offer it to us anyways. God, when we want to take and gain something for us, you freely give it to us. And so God, help us to trust in your plan. God, for anyone in this room who wants to put their trust in you for the very first time, I pray that these would be the words of their heart. God, we admit that we have sinned. That we, shall, that we fall short of your glorious plan. God, there's nothing that we can do to make up for it. So we thank you for Jesus who paid that price for us. Forgive us of our sins. Fill us with your spirit and lead and guide us in everything that we do. Thank you for being our savior, for being a wonderful, amazing, loving God who invites us into communion with you. We love you and pray these things in your son's name. Amen.